All right, so if you only had one minute to give an artist the best music marketing advice you could possibly give them, what would you say timer started? Definitely micro content. So the act of creating short form reels, TikToks and YouTube shorts is the number one way, in my opinion, to drive all three phases of the marketing funnel from discovery of your brand at the top, a consideration of your art in the middle and conversion towards your streams and your super fans at the bottom and just being militant and performing your song over and over and over again until people are sick of it. That means they're ready to become super fans for you. And that's probably the best place to start to do any type of activation. Forget music videos, just create reels, TikToks, and YouTube shorts instead. Cool. The 10 seconds to spare. I think that's great advice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I've, uh, I've, I've talked to a few people who have given very similar answers that micro content is, is one of the best ways to grow your audience. And one thing that a lot of artists hate hearing is you need to post more on social media. So mm -hmm. I guess we'll probably start talking about social media because I think it's the most, like one, it's the most time consuming for an artist, but it's free, essentially, and it works. And honestly, in my opinion, an artist sh sh should ideally have a great organic strategy before paying for any kind of marketing strategy. Because like you pay for a bunch of stuff and they funnel in from that, there's nothing to consume, which can work, but Agreed. it's better if they have that. So you have a cool history. You have 10 years of social media experience working for different companies. You worked at Sony Music Entertainment for, for a bit as like a social media executive, which is a very fancy title. Um, so Thank like you, if someone has a song coming out, let's say one month from today, can you just kind of walk through the timeline of like what are they posting? How many pieces of content? What kind of styles? Of course. Yeah. So yeah, I had a long career, started as an intern, moved up the ranks and eventually started running my own label, moved on to other things. So with that in mind, the number one mistake I've learned that artists do is they think they have to promote their song. And when you replace promotion with emotion and you tell people what your song means to you, why you chose the title, um, how they've been in this situation before, whether it's romance, whether it's um, at friendship, whether it's whatever the subject matter of the song is, if you unpack the themes that are in the narrative of the music, people can relate to it more. And so how I'd structure a very basic song campaign would be six weeks, seven days of which is to warm up. So you've been in ghost mode, you haven't posted a thing in ages, you get back to good habits. Then you'd want 14 days of pre-marketing minimum. So before the song comes out, doing all those talking points around what the song means to you. Then you have the release day. You need a huge activation on release day. Then 14 days of post-marketing minimum, where you're doing micro-content performances and performances and performances and performances. And finally, you need to cool down to then ramp up to your next song. Like at a minimum, that's 42 days. I would right. ideally do a lot more on top of that. Yeah. So you're starting th three weeks before ramp up mm -hmm. for ramp up for one week, two weeks of pre-release promotion and then yes. three weeks of post promotion, yep. two of which is like heavy and one of which is ramped down. But I'm guessing while you're ramping down, Correct. you're ramping up to the next one, right? Just after. So just after just ramping after. down, you're ramping back up. Yeah. Gotcha. So 
on that note of performance content and talking about the story behind the song, like, let's say someone is a producer and not a not a vocalist or an artist per sure, se. Sure. Um, what can you give some examples of content that you've seen to be beneficial? That's an excellent question. So there are definitely producers who do this really, really well. And I love the ones that begun with, I sampled this random sound, turned it into my 808, turned it into my hi-hat, and put it all together, and it sounds like this. That's the hyper-creative way. But the reality is most artists, they just download a sample pack from somewhere on the internet, and they sat there clicking around without any hardware. So I agree, it is a challenge to make that look interesting. And this is where storytelling comes into place. So you can say, I started with this sample, play the OG original sample. Then I transposed it, blah, 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 blah. I manipulated in this way, added this. You show some swagger, some bounce, some groove to it. And this is what it ended up sounding like. Gotcha. You see, it's, it's a much more of a storytelling approach than here's my beat, go listen now on Spotify. Right. So ra rather than telling someone to go listen, you're giving them a reason why. And it's that story and the ability to tell and hold people's attention and craft a narrative that separates great producers and storytellers from just average ones, I think. Yeah, so that, that's great. Now, if someone is, I guess, you know, quote unquote, a regular artist, where they're like a, a vocalist or performer and... Um, the type of content I've seen most often, especially on TikTok and Reels and stuff, is someone lip-syncing their song in a cool place. So they might go to the beach, go to a mountain, have hang out the side of a car, you know, whatever it is, and then just lip-sync their song. And then on the screen, they're putting some text like, this is, um, if you just went through a breakup, this is the perfect song for you. Um, this is the story of my relationship with my own mental health you know whatever it is 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 that the kind of content that you're talking about literally hit the nail on the head <laughs> i think this is the the introduction to this high productive sort of content that genuinely drives streams it genuinely grows your brand and it genuinely excites fans this type of content will perform much better than 15 seconds of your music video that's a lazy shortcut that artists take. Someone else has filmed it. They can just give me a cut down. Yeah. But the hardworking artists, like you said, they get creative. They either perform their song live and they need to figure out the sound design where there may be an audio interface, an external mic, yada, yada, yada. Or they just lip sync and dub it over. And one sentence of contextual introduction, like you said, if you've gone through a breakup, this song is for you. Or if you're traveling this summer, I want you to listen to this song. All yeah. of these type of one sentence segues are amazing to drive fans, streams, and even excitement. Yeah, I I've seen it a ton. And I've seen people like genuinely blow up doing it. Um, what about the problem that a lot of people face on, on TikTok where they're they're posting that kind of content and like it, it I've seen some people it looks great like it looks stunning I think the hook is good the story's good the song's good they're posting like one of these clips a day it's like every post 200 views 200 views 200 views you know it's like they could do that thing where they push it out and then they just like cap it you know I'm sure you've seen this a ton mm -hmm. um how can an artist work around 
that like is is there is there a level of um i don't want to call it shadow banning but if they've posted a certain type of content in the past that maybe was less engaging that now they're breaking through this kind of algorithmic barrier or or maybe does their content actually just suck like you know what, what can someone do if they're just like <laughs> they've done like 20 pieces of content in a row and it's just 200 200 200 yeah i often find it's when the artist is afraid of their own success and they've dialed down their true self and they're not letting their real artistry be seen by the world. And because they're shy on camera, maybe they're introverted, they're not really letting this content be the best it could be. So when you hit that ultra high note, that octave above where you normally sing, or when you like really do what they call focus singing, where your lips are quivering because you're really pursing the lips to get it out. That type of energy and intention into the video makes those views come. Because someone can tell you're not just lip syncing it, you're giving it flipping everything. Yeah. So that's one side of the thing. And then the second side of the thing is getting those hooks and the thumbnails to be as scroll stopping as possible. I did an artist workshop today and he prepared... 18 different first lines and I basically said you're hiding you're not making these first lines exciting enough as I know you can so when, so when I you helped say him rewrite those. you're not talking literally like a thumbnail I, I think you're talking about like that first frame because like on TikTok and the first frame okay yeah I mean because in a way that that yeah. kind of is like like YouTube there's literally thumbnails but mm -hmm. like on, I guess on TikTok and Reels and stuff, your th your thumbnail in a way is just that like first like half a second or whatever, right? Yes and no, bro. So you can manually choose which freeze frame of the video you're electing to be the thumbnail on the grid. Yeah. And I put a lot of considered attention in which thumbnail I pick. But yes, for okay. argument's sake, is the opening few seconds that you freeze framed, and it's got the song title, song name performance that kind of thing written on it gotcha gotcha so you 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 will have people come up with a ton of different ideas oh absolutely kind of for the workshop kind of thing it's like because like the the asset is just them performing and, and they can do that yes. like they can maybe go out in like in one hour bring a couple changes of clothes go out and just perform the song at three different spots around their town found like totally agree. an abandoned building a park staying in the middle of the street going the rooftop at night maybe an hour you know and then at that I fully point, agree it's like yeah. come up with as you said like maybe like eight literally 18 hooks and then like from that if you have five different clips and 18 hooks it's just like you know each song could probably be cut into four segments multiply 20 times 18 i mean maybe it's not all 18 aren't good maybe three are good so when it's three, three posts and 20 clips, it's like you have 60 pieces of content. Bro, that would make my life if an artist went to the abandoned building and went to the beach. I would be comfortable if they even did that in their home and change the color of the lights behind them and sit yeah. in the same chair against the same white wall and just change jumper. I would be happy with that as a bare minimum. Yeah. Like going out, out into your neighborhood would be phenomenal if they could do that. Yeah. But yeah, we workshop it out. We, we write all those hooks. We, we do it in a Word document so that the clients that I work with can then take that on their merry way and have a bullet-pointed script of video one, first line, video two, first line, video three, first line, 
yeah. and then perform separately so you don't have to do it in one perfect take you can record all the first lines in solo and then do the performances solo and then mix and match in the editing phase yeah yeah i, I i've seen one guy that has he has like a quarter million monthly listeners and he, he was doing a mixture of ads and this type of content but he was posting like one or two of these a day where he, he literally had like a microphone that went to like a Zoom recorder and he had headphones on playing right. from his phone. And he'd like stand in the middle of an empty street with like when the traffic's like stopped. And then, they, you know, so there'd be stoplights on either end. And he's just standing in the middle of the street and he's just like, this is a song about me battling my depression. And then he starts rapping. <laughs> and then like, you know, it's like the cars start coming and they run off the street. Or like he's standing on, on he's like sitting on the floor in a building and um, he goes to all these cool spots and... Um, it's, it's worked really well for him. I don't know what proportion for him is from ads versus social, but, um, you know, it's, it's, I find it's not only just one thing that ever really makes an artist pop off. Yeah. I salute any artist who has the courage and the audacity to do that. I think you only need one video to really pop off to the stars and your follower base will grow. Then after your, I say the words very carefully. Once your followers have grown, then they will consider listening to all the other videos you've ever made. Yeah. And that will help them consider becoming a fan. Once they've become a fan for long enough, then they will be likely to convert and pre-save your song or buy your tickets or become part of your email list. And you've taken someone from a cold user to a warm audience to a red hot fan. I think there's definitely three distinct phases in that life cycle there that you nicely touched upon. Like social content can be that conduit to take someone from a stranger to a diehard fan. Right. Yeah. So I guess it's very much like a funnel, like anything else. Like everything in marketing yep. is a funnel where, you know, in this case, the people just seeing your posts, you have your raw impressions and a certain percentage of the people watch most of the video and, and or like it comment on it and then a certain exactly. fraction of those will follow you a certain fraction of those will go down the rabbit hole and watch like all your content a certain fraction of those will go listen to spotify a certain fraction of those will buy your merch join your mailing list come out to a show so it's it it comes down to just a, a math and numbers game like if if every post yes. you do gets even if it's just 300 views i guess like if you gain one new follower but you're posting every day it adds up, you know, and hopefully it, Fully. you get like, more than one. But <laughs> You and I have both grown YouTube channels. You and I have both grown social media footprints. And it's through that determination that I'm not where I want to be, but I will continue to post until I get to where I want to be. And then the fan base is very much an eventuality rather than a possibility. Because yeah. if you're playing this game for a five-year, 10-year, 15-year sprint, you will get to those 30,000 followers. You will get to that 100,000 play count. You will get to whatever milestone you set as long as you don't give up along the way. And the content yeah. is like discovery content, consideration content, conversion content, discovery, 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 consideration, consideration, consideration. Like you hit enough different points on the funnel, you can almost predict the trajectory of your like growth on your channel. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I generally know every video I do, roughly what it'll get. You know, there's, there's a big range. Like, these interview videos, I know kind of, like, how they'll do. 
because it's a completely different type of content than if I have like a Spotify Facebook ad video. I kind of know what that'll do. And then there's a bunch of stuff in the middle where it's like I'm talking about mm-hmm. like a news article or something in the music industry. And so, but it is kind of a math game where you know, I know if I post this amount of videos, each video gains me roughly this amount of subscribers. Some pop off, some flop. I can kind of, you can kind of just, you have a predictable thing where you can know how much you're going to grow in the next year. Um, which is I fully agree. not just good for like uh, content sake, but it's also like what brands consider, right? When they're when they're going to sponsor a video or something, um, they they want to know not like how your channel's doing, but like what are your projections for how a sponsored video might do, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, yep. And this was yep. an interesting thing I didn't even know about you till we we talked on your podcast. So little. Uh, what's it called? A uh, shout out to to your podcast. It'll be linked in the description for this video. Uh, I was interviewed on Yazis, so so you can see the opposite side of the coin on there. But you do uh, a really interesting thing where you help artists kind of get into the world of sponsored content, which I never even imagined yes. would be a thing for a music artist, because it's obvious for YouTubers. Like you go on any YouTube channel, and it's like. This video is sponsored by Squarespace or Skillshare or HelloFresh or Dollar Shave Club or in my case, DistroKid and Hyped It and SongTrust. Or so, can you talk a little bit about that sponsorship brand? Of course, yeah. I think in the world of influencer marketing, I see artists as brands, not just musicians. So there comes a point where an artist stands for something. I've had clients that I've worked with have made their own candles. Uh, someone might make their own t-shirt like, I, like I'm wearing right now. Someone might um, go and work for an awareness cause to save the environment. So if they're already aligning with brands, it makes sense to me that a brand would pay them to talk to their audience. So just like DistroKid, DistroKid want to reach out to musicians. So they go to folks like you and I who have a community of musicians. If you have an artist who talks about R&B songs, right? Maybe there's a roses company who wants to do a Valentine's Day promotion and the rose company says, hey, can you use our gift code? We'll pay you to do this. We'll speak to your community in early or late January, early Feb to get the message through that we've got a roses special and you can get it with this code XYZ. And the creator wins because they get a chunk of change, anywhere from 500 to a grand for that post or more. The brand wins because they're exposed to the perfect community of real romantics and real heartthrobs, right? And the audience win because they get added value from, oh, I didn't know that this artist is going to talk about this brand. I'll consider it. I needed roses for my girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, husband, etc. It's a win all around, I think. Yeah, especially if the it's fit into the song some way. Like if it's a love song yeah. or something that the artist has that drops around the, like I almost could imagine like if an artist has a song that is fit into some kind of, um, Oh, hold on. I thought my zoom, zoom pros, I, it's still, slightly. I don't know if you noticed that. Slightly. Phrase. It's okay. It's, um, it's okay. It's, it's freezing okay. on zoom, but it's not on OBS. So if that happens again, okay. Don't pay. Yeah, me. sure. <laughs> but, um, if a if an artist has a song, uh, is that is like uh, like you know every song kind of has a certain theme so it's like you could almost like before the song comes out go to a brand and like 
we're dropping a song about this. We have this this much numbers. Like we could super easily drop your product or sale or something into this thing. Oh yeah. Is that often yeah. how you do it, or is it more of like a, a recurring thing that an artist might integrate? I think it depends on the context. So, for example, the situation you described might be within the music video. So let's say it's a bunch of rappers and they're drinking a Hennessy. So they Hennessy is a huge brand. So they could I'm Muslim, I don't drink, but one could reach out to an alcohol brand and say, here is the treatment and the idea of this video. We want to show ourselves pouring from your bottle and zoom in on the label. And would you be open to giving us the liquor and also giving us X amount of income to do this? And the yeah. big brands will say no. And the small upcoming startups may say yes. So that's right. a YouTube example. But on Instagram and TikTok, you might dedicate the whole video to them. So recently, I've uh, started using a hip hop meditation app. It's called Spoke. And I liked it so much, I just made an Instagram story for the love of it. And I tagged them in the brand, in the, I tagged them in the story, and I went to bed. And the <laughs> next morning, I woke up. I was followed by Spoke World. I had a DM from them. Oh my God, please, can you wait? We transfer this to us. And off the back of me, we transferring it to them. They posted it on their account. It was the most viewed reel they had had all month. And we're opening discussions about them sponsoring a month on my YouTube channel now. Yeah. So a free, <laughs> a free story can become a real opportunity if you play the game right. Yeah. For for artists that like, what kind of size artists are you talking about that are getting these deals? Are they like like a thousand followers? I mean, obviously it depends on the engagement, but you know, if it's a thousand followers, mm -hmm. ten thousand, hundred thousand, like, is there kind of a general view threshold or follower threshold where these kind of opportunities start becoming more plausible? I wouldn't put a number on it, man. I think two thousand would be a nice start, but I think an artist with five hundred could do it easily. Really, I think it's. The content you create, um, they can run brand ads on that. So you, they can put it on their channel and they can use just put amplification behind it. That's one option. Yeah. Or option two, they could send, they could allow list you and they could amplify your post as a paid partnership tag with them. That's another option. So they're really looking for the caliber of the creator, not a number of followers. Yeah. I guess for on on their side, if they wanted to hire someone to make a awesome ad that looks like it belongs in social media, they might have to pay a couple hundred or even a couple thousand dollars. Yeah, so exactly. So even if like you don't have a big brand, but you make great content, they might be willing to throw an artist a couple hundred bucks just so that they don't have to make that content themselves. <laughs> Is that? Yeah, completely. I think it, having a videographer create it wouldn't have the authenticity of a musician creating it. Yeah. So here was the storyboard for the one I made. I it was a Friday night. I showed myself closing my laptop. I showed myself picking up my phone. I showed myself tapping the spoke app. Then I went into a screen recording of the app and I selected a mood. And then I chose a the topics that I wanted to meditate about and a 10 minute time limit. Then I showed myself sitting in this chair, I lit a candle and I blew out the match. And I drank a cup of tea. <laughs> that was the storyboard of an ad. Yeah. Right? So I didn't show myself like opening up machine 
and then like showing the hardware and zooming in on all the buttons on the hardware. Didn't do that. I was just authentic. I drink tea. I like candles. Like being <laughs> yourself, and they yeah. vibe with that because it's it's what the app was designed for. Right? Artists and yeah. producers can just find the right thing for them. Maybe they are into incense. Maybe they are into crystals. Maybe they are into sports. So whatever their thing is, you should try and find the sponsors in your world, and just reach out to them. The worst they can say is not right now. Thanks for asking. It's the worst yeah. that happens. Honestly, too, for for producers, the collab is even more obvious because they're so often using various software and hardware. And, and if they're yep. showing their behind the scenes process, that's super easy. And do you ever have like metal bands who you're you're trying to get them a sponsorship deal with like, you know, um, PRS or Ibanez or, or or some kind of guitar brand, or is it pretty much always think- more like? products or is, is it ever music products it can be music products like, i haven't done one particularly but for example instead of going after uh, the biggest guitar brand in the world go for a new startup guitar brand instead of going for like the biggest funding brand in the world like prs yeah. go for someone who's got a small grant available for a really bespoke thing because prs don't need the awareness people know right. who they are yeah. But the small unknown entity does need the awareness. So you've got to yeah. tactfully play to the strengths of you're helping a brand get awareness with their perfect tribe. And you have their perfect tribe, so they have to be willing to pay for it. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess, for, for example, you know, if, if someone's in like a progressive metal band, like a lot of progressive metal bands have seven-string, eight-string guitars, and there's not too many companies who will do those extended range guitars. I mean, yeah, like Ibanez has some, but there's like a lot of specialty brands that like focus and sponsor artists like Animals as Leaders, Scale the Summit, etc. I don't know if you know who any of these people are, but um, they're they're like really technical guitar players with like extended range instruments, really wacky designs, and like it's way more niche. And so I'd think that like, and also the fans of these these bands tend to be like diehard technical guitar players. So it's, it's and that's like a perfect situation where it's a music product where the the music fans and the music fans are also music players, but that's cool to know that it's that is- it's generally not a music product. It's more often like a lifestyle kind of thing. Agreed, agreed. I think in the music example, let's say I'll use a software example. Let's say uh, Serato DJ launched a new function called Stems. Right, so you can turn off the drums and only leave the vocal a cappella. Super cool. Yeah. So a DJ might demo the new software, but they might do it in a really creative way that entices other DJs to want to upgrade their software. That's how I can put it nicely. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. It's really cool. Gazoom tight. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if that cough. Was a I've got an awful cough. <laughs> oh, sorry. I have an awful cough right now. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So the the next thing I wanted to cover is you you also talk a bit about Facebook ads too. I mean, you're, it seems like your your kind of niche is the social media stuff, but a lot of this ad stuff is pretty much just social media stuff on steroids in a way because you're just hundred percent amplifying the reach. So what what's your paid marketing strategy when it comes to like Facebook ads or, or whatever ad network? I think it's always having a very clear 
objective for what you want the ad to achieve. So, <clears throat> excuse me, if the ad is designed to increase your Instagram views, you build the ad in a certain way. If your ad is designed to drive Spotify streams, there's four or five different methods to do that. If the ad is to get your brand more visible, there's one way of doing that with reach ads. I think my philosophy on ads is what's the one action that you want to achieve and let's build a plan to test and learn to get you to that objective. The conversation you and I had about conversion ads versus traffic ads, I think it's a very expensive way to drive streams. When done right, the uplift of the ad overall increases the account in terms of monthly listeners and all the other elements. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I think my strategy is always to go broad at first and niche down to just test and test and learn and figure out what works. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good point about figuring out your objective because it's very often I hop on a call with someone and it's like, okay, you know, what do you want to cover? And they say something like, well, I really want to, I really want to blow up my Spotify and I want to get like a hundred thousand views on YouTube and I want to grow my mailing list and I want to sell merch. There we go. And like my first question is like, okay, well, we only have an hour. So <laughs> let's, let's pick one of these things, but do like the one run an ad campaign that kind of does everything. And you exactly. often have to, like, I, I think if you're running ads, and probably also with organic, like every every content, every ad campaign, like literally you get you get one goal. <laughs> you can you you either want to boost your streaming on Spotify, and maybe maybe you can kind of bundle streaming in one, but you can't you can't have it be like this campaign is both for email growth and Spotify. It'll it'll just Agreed. never work. I think off the back of that, every artist wants someone else to do the hard work for them. So they hire a radio plugger, they hire a PR, they hire a playlist team, they'll hire an ads agency, and they want everyone else to bring streams to their song except themselves. And they don't want to put in the hard work to make the micro content and reach out to people and network and be a manager or be a hustler. They just say, I created this art. The world needs to just press play on it. They owe it to me. I'm entitled to it. And I love the fact that, yeah, I could run ads for an artist, but it will be an expensive way to get to 100,000 streams. Like genuinely, it will be an expensive way. The free way is to create some micro content, test and learn with great, getting that to be as good as it can be, and then look at learning ads for oneself to put their own budget in a DIY method onto those bits of content to see if they can ladder it up. I think hiring a consultant like you or I to just do it for me is very much trying to pass the buck and get someone else to bring their streams. They should at yeah. least be doing 30 to 60% of their own streams. And one consultant is supplementing that rather than being the only source of streams. And they're not doing damn thing themselves. That's just my opinion, at least. Yeah. I mean, there's... There's definitely people in different stages of where they're at, where like the, the the type of person that should outsource their ads is not the person that's releasing like there is generally at least not the person who's doing their first song with no social media content and they have no stream. Like generally the type of person that should be outsourcing their ads is either like they have a big budget 
and they they already have their social media content put together. They've already had some kind of audience. Their brand is established. If they're like just starting and they're not going to put any social media content online and they have no brand and no real fans yet, it probably doesn't make sense to outsource your marketing yet because, I mean, like you can and then you might get great results. But if you, people probably are, they're going to be less likely to stick, you know, and, and like be a fan. They're, you're going to get a bunch of streams in a song and then that's probably going to be the only thing that really happens. <laughs> Whereas so, if totally. someone comes, they, they already get 30,000 monthly listeners. They've, they've released a bunch of stuff and they, they've, you know, they do, they're doing the content thing. Maybe they've experimented with ads themselves or they've done, you know, they, they got some stuff going on, like, but they're just too busy or they lack the technical know-how to do it themselves. And it's like, it makes a ton of sense. Um, for real, for real. I think the phrase is, someone said it, it's like, it takes seven touch points for a one-time listener to become a fan. So an ad is a one-time listen, generally, unless you're retargeting. So after the ad, they listen to your song on Spotify, one touch point. But maybe the second touch point is they go to your artist profile. The third touch point is they watch a video. They comment on a video. Then they share it to their story or share it to a friend. Then they send you a DM. And then they want to pre-save your song. So an ad, as we kind of just talked about, an ad cannot entice you to do all those things the ad puts yeah. the content in front of you and gives you the decision to consider there we go with that word again to consider doing it for yourself right so i think yeah. the ad does not drive the streams the ad drives the click the experience of the click drives the fan that's the distinguishment in my eyes yeah yeah because like if, if you if you promote a song like with the big budget and you get on you, it does really well on Spotify and it gets on Discover Weekly for example like you, you can you can have a song hit millions of streams with that but you're not necessarily developing fans off of that like Correct. You, you're developing a lot of people who now know who you are like your music or generally aware of you and it kind of just depends on how you define a fan you know is a fan someone who likes one of your songs has saved it and follows you on Spotify they're a certain type of fan for sure but um, that's not the same thing as if they're like on your mailing list and they listen to every song you put out and they purchase something from you or come to a show. So it's, it's this weird thing. And I've had people ask me, like, how many actual fans do you have? I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you define as a fan? Is, like, is it only people who have given me, like, paid me money? Like, or, like, purchased my music or something or some kind of merch item? It's like, I don't know, 600. Is it people who follow me on Spotify? Well, then it's 14,000. Is it people that follow me on multiple platforms and have listened to multiple songs? It's like, well, then I have no idea because it's, there's no way to track that. That's a great, that's a great distinguishment. I really, really resonate with that because I think there's a difference. You, the line in the sand is cold audiences and warm audiences. So people can follow you. That doesn't mean much really in this economy. People follow hundreds and hundreds of different followers or different accounts. But if someone engages with you and they're connected with you, you can say that they're warm. Now, they may not have done those tangible things like pre-saved or bought a thing, but you're on their radar. And when you post, they take notice. I think that's enough for me that they're observing what you're doing, even if they're not engaging. So all you have to do is just 
be so loud they can't ignore you. That's that difference to me. Yeah. I, I heard a quote from someone that was like, uh, I I'm going to butcher it, but it was something along the lines of like, if you're, if you're screaming so loud that the whole world can hear you, you're, you're finally marketing your music enough. You know, nice. like if, nice, it, nice, yeah. if you're, if you're like posting so much and talking about your music so much that you're starting to get worried that it's annoying, you probably just started posting enough essentially, which is yeah, kind of a good agree. point just because all these algorithms, like your followers only might like only 8% of your followers might see your posts, you know? And so you can kind of post eight times or 10 times and hit everyone once in a way. And so, and even with email marketing, you, you could send like three emails in a week. That's more or less the same thing reworded a different way. And those three emails together will hit almost a hundred percent of your audience, but each one only might hit a third. Um, and I think a lot of artists are afraid of being annoying, but at what point? That's so key though. That's so key. Yeah. Is there a line you like, what is the line of when an artist is being annoying? What do you think that is? Twofold. I think one, when an artist is worried about being annoying, that's not the fans that they want. That's the fans that they have. So if someone is getting ticked off that you are sharing your art, I don't want that fan. Bye. Unfollow me. They get lost. Yeah. The person who is craving my music, that's the person who I want to attract. So I will post more and observe who is engaging the most and I'll give them more of the same. But I think the line that it crosses going back to promotion versus emotion. Mm. So if you're nobody watches that the shopping channel for fun, you don't go and watch the shopping channel selling microwaves and toasters for fun. An artist who just keeps saying song out now, song out now, song out now, start to become telemarketers. Yeah. So if they start telling you why you should listen to my song or my song helped me get through a phase of bullying in my life. This song helped me get through X, Y, Z in my life. You start to not over market. You start to just speak the right amount to get more people to listen. Mm. I think it's a very delicate line, like you said, but I think I would want to be brave, up the intensity and up the frequency so that the right type of audiences see this. And then there's probably 30,000 others in the world in the exact same life situation who deserve this song. And the world is a big place. Like if yeah. you're not, if you haven't got the fan base you want, find where they hang out because they definitely hang out somewhere on this big worldwide internet. And you just need to tap yeah. into that community that exists instead of trying to always build a community for yourself. Just find where they hang out and infiltrate. Yeah. The, 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 I think a lot of artists forget how big the world is. Just like you said, where, mm. where even if you, you're in a niche, like a very specific subgenre, where only 1% of the world would even ever like that music. Well, there's 8 million people. You just narrowed it from 8 billion yeah. to 8 million. Or actually, no, 80 million, right? 1% would be yeah. like, so 80, 80 million people. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, how many of them live in a country where it's practical for you to be able to interact? Because you, know, you can't really like, interact with a lot of people in China and, and certain other countries. So um, it's like maybe now you've taken it from 80 million to 20 million and how many of them will like you over anyone else? Well, even if it's 1% of that, you've taken it down to uh, 
thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Thousand. Example I can give is, let's say you make a genre of music, and I'm going to use dubstep as an example. If you go to Skrillex's Instagram and you go to the comments under Skrillex's post, you've just found a three million person community of people who love the exact genre that you do. And rather than trying to tell them to follow you by engaging with the comments that they are already leaving, you will start to build rapport and relationships. And you do this at scale enough times, I can guarantee you, Skrillex will notice you. You will become the most liked comment underneath one of Skrillex's posts. And other people will start to recognize your name and follow you for always participating in the conversation. So you become a pillar of the community and then they discover your music. The perfect tribe will then go, oh, what do you make? Because I'm interested because you, you gave love before you started asking a favor. Yeah. And I'm really big on that. Like you give, 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 and then you ask. You jab, 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 and then you write hook. Good old Gary V book. <laughs> Good old Gary V. Yeah. I think I got that on uh, Audible or something at one point. But yeah. Phenomenal. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good strategy, and it works not just for music. It works for kind of any kind of any kind of content creator. That's a lot of what being a, a YouTuber is is like in a way. Like you, you can work in a bubble for sure, but you things start to happen a lot better when you're interacting with the wider community. You know, and that's why we do things totally. like this. You know, where where I go on your podcast, you go on my podcast, and even though in a way, in like a very indirect way, we're competitors, right? We're competing for the same audience. But, like, there's so many areas that we don't overlap, right? Like, you focus on a certain thing, I focus on a certain thing. And we have the same objective. And so collaborating makes all the sense in the world. Because you have your tribe, I have my tribe. But that those tribes are pretty much the same. They're just, like, mm. not together. And now we've just kind of, like, bumped them together for these couple points in time. And um, we both yeah. we both yeah. benefit from it, and both of our fan bases benefit because they get my people get to learn from you, your people get to learn from me. Um, and I you maybe hear it in the way I speak. I've done a lot of self development reading and stuff. I very don't very much don't see any music marketers as competitors. I see it as like when the tide rises, all the boats rise together. Yeah. So the more the more our space grows the more every single creator in the space from the OGs to the new ones to the, the ones more right, the ones more left, the ones who talk about playlists, the ones who talk about ads, everyone wins because the space is growing. Yeah. And yeah, I have no shade towards any music marketer, any, any other creator because one, I've gained clients from them. I worked with X. I didn't gel with them. I want to work with you. People have probably left me and gone to another competitor too. No shade at all. Yeah. I think everyone's here, everyone's here to feed their families and win. So that's all we're trying to do is just live our passions and make some income at the same time and help others to achieve their dreams along the way. Yeah. Now for, for artists, I've talked to some artists who almost have a competitive mindset when it comes to collaborating with other bands or whatever. Especially in rock and metal, it's very strange. Like I think that the hip hop people, the EDM people, and the pop people get it. Like they get the collaboration is pretty much always a no brainer to do. But in like rock and metal and like even country, sometimes it seems like a lot of artists have talked to have this mindset where like, 
I don't want to tarnish my brand. I don't want to, I don't want to interact with these people, or we don't we don't like them, or like we're we're competitors in this local space. And I think that's the wrong mindset in every scenario. I mean, unless they're just like total jerks or something, but that's that's a different story. You know, like if if you if if you and I didn't like each other and we didn't collaborate, that's a different story. Then we're not collaborating because like we're worried about competition. And mm. what do you say to those like? metal bands or rock bands or or, peop- or other genres who like historically just like don't collaborate yeah i think live performing is a very slightly different space in the digital ecosystem because on a band on a show lineup there's only a few number of acts and so someone has to lose out for someone to be the headliner and so there's always a headliner one to two support bands the opener band on a festival, it's probably the same thing. A whole load of small acts, then the mid-tier acts, then there's three supports and then a headline. And maybe live performancing is a bit more competitive because there's limited spots and you have to genuinely beat someone out to take that spot maybe. I, think yeah. I can understand the competitiveness of like, this festival's once a year. They've only got one headliner. It's either the biggest artist on the left or the biggest artist on the right. It can't be both. Neither wants to support the other because that's degrading. Like, I'm yeah. better than them. Why am I supporting them? So to some extent, I can understand that. Yeah. But like, I guess if for digital collabs, I, I mean, I guess like if they're worried that, oh, we're trying to open up for this band, there's this local band, we could collaborate. But now if we're working together, like they get a bump in notoriety. And so they might get that gig instead of us. <laughs> So it's almost like I a, think, in a local scene, collaborating actually does probably have some risks, but on like a nation or internation-wide scale, it, that's when it starts to matter less and less, I guess. True. I definitely hear that. I think maybe people catch feelings. So maybe if it was like if the bigger artist was a guest feature on a smaller band's album, they were like, I don't need a feature on their album. I'm, I'm already more established than them. Yeah. But I think the trade aspect was I'll do one for yours, you do one for mine. That's got legs for sure. The quid right. pro quo. I think, but I'm not good enough with bands to even try and blag it. But if, I don't know, if a, if a rapper went on a startup rapper's album, he gets more benefit than the startup rapper going on the big rapper's album. If you see what I'm vaguely trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if someone has a million monthly I think listeners. it comes down to ego. It comes down to ego, doesn't it? At the yeah. end of the day, it's not, it's not tangible. It's just how people feel. It's ego. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of that in the music world. Um, so one more thing I wanted to bring up is you co-founded and managed a record label for a few years called Future Beats Records, which I saw on your LinkedIn mm-hmm. profile. <laughs> um, how? What was that like? So, I mean, you you... I don't know what kind of label it was. I didn't dig down that deep. But uh, how many artists did you have? What, like, what did you do? What were the kind of inner workings of that, if, if you're comfortable sharing? Honestly, that was probably the most gung-ho experiment of our lives. We did a SoundCloud label, myself and one other DJ. He was the face of the brand. I was the guy behind the scenes. Um, we did not do good contracts. We did not do good paperwork. We did not put all of our ducks in a row and after a, an argument we have i left 
I said, I'm done with this. This is my baby. Uh, you can run it if you want to, but I'm cashing out. And we did, we did good, man. We did probably 20 releases. A lot of them hit the quarter million plays mark on SoundCloud. A couple of them are still on Spotify. Um, what it taught me was my favorite part of the process is designing the rollout plan for a musician. Mm. I hated the back-end administration. I hated the legal aspect of things. That terrifies me to this day. Yeah. But building a plan to promote the song is what I fell in love with. Um, and it was at that time in my life where I used the initials of my name, Ayaz Aftab Hussein, and I found all about helping. Ah. Because the, the story goes, <laughs> my grandfather... My grandfather was Aftab Hussein. So I'm named after my granddad. And he was the most helpful man anyone ever knew. So the first thing you say about him is he's a true gentleman. He always helped me out. And so I made that my mission to help artists help themselves. So yeah. I, give the game, I give the game away on YouTube and on TikTok and on Instagram. But then to work with an artist and customize it to them. I'm like, look, let's work. Let me take the advice I've given and supercharge it personalized to you. And yeah. I was the happiest I've ever been in building this brand. And I genuinely want to do this until I'm 80 years old. Like nice. that's how much I love. I love the hustle of what I do right now. So yeah, yeah, the label taught me a lot, but it was something I was hard to walk away from your baby. Like I <laughs> co-founded it with the guy built it to a, a I think 30,000, 34,000 SoundCloud followers. And then to walk away and be like, it's yours. I'm out. Yeah. And, was and tough, this man. is back in the day when SoundCloud actually mattered. <laughs> yeah. 20, Sound 2014 to 2016. Yeah. 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 Well, that's awesome, man. So, I mean, in addition to your YouTube and social media content, you, you also have a bunch of free resources on your website. You have social media templates. You have headline guide thing. And yes. And you also yes. have, a, you have a book. I don't remember if the book is free or not. And then you also have, I think, a course and you also have a, kind of like a mentorship thing, right? 100%. Yes. The book is seven bucks of Amazon. So um, it's pretty called much two free. types of... So cheap pretty much everyone free, yeah. watching this video right now should go buy it. <laughs> that, that would mean the world to me. Thank you. Uh, seven bucks of Amazon. It's three bucks for the digital PDF. And then a bunch of free resources. And then I've scaled that up into like a DIY strategy to get 10,000 streams. So right at the beginning of this pod, the 7, 14, 14, 7 outline I gave, I've broken it down day by day with pre-written captions, example videos, the exact narratives to pick. I've packaged all that up. And I've got a course that shows the basics of how to run ads. But Andrew's channel is a bit better than my course, not going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll and then to, the mentorship I'll have to program. Give, give you an affiliate link for my course, so uh, you can Deal. you can send your people my way and get, have it make sense. Deal, bro. <laughs> the the mentorship program. I'm hella proud of that. So it's called Magnetic Musician, and it's a three month, ninety day intensive workshop. There's about twenty artists in there right now, and week in week out, we create micro content, we create streaming strategies, and we're accountable to each other to gain sponsorships and share how much money we're making, how many streams we're driving, how many fans we're driving. And yeah. I'm a participant as much as the coach. 
So if I set them a task, I have to do three times much more so that I am accountable to them. I'm not just giving them a task and saying, show me how you did. I have to put in the work and outwork my competition. And I love that. What's your biggest success story from that? Or maybe even a couple if you want to share them. So it's fairly new. This has only been running since November. My biggest success story ever, probably Ego LMA, a jazz R&B singer. Uh, I took her debut album to 4.5 million streams. So that was a combo of ads and social media strategy. Nice. I'm super proud of that. And I've, I still work with her to this day. Um, I'm building her website right now. And so just like I love these long-term clients that we go back six, seven years. Yeah. And they just continue to use me and my, my team as like their go-to social media agency. It means the world. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, I've experienced the same thing. Like some of my favorite clients have are people that I've been working with for years now. And it's almost like they're just friends at this point. For, for yeah. like a, you know, it's like yeah. this interesting business, like friendship dynamic where like we've been working together for so long that it's, it's this cool thing, you know. Um, you're, you're part of the team. You're not just yeah. their consultant. You are in, woven into the mix yeah. of who they count on and trust. Yeah. That's, that's my powerful. that's my favorite part. It's cool doing one off. You know, someone needs help with one thing, but it, it's a lot cooler when it's like, you know, someone books you because they need help with one thing, and they come later because they have a new release coming, and then they schedule a series of of things so you can kind of be a part of the team like during this release to kind of help them get the most results. That, and, and then like you start seeing progress year after year, like oh, I, I met this artist when they had twenty thousand monthly listeners, and then fast forward a year and a half, now they're at one hundred and twenty k. And, and the, every aspect is just like scaled up. And it's like, sweet. I was, you know, I was some part of this. You know? That's <laughs> the most exciting aspect of it. <laughs> For me, I'm more of an energy person. I like seeing someone's energy change. So pre-working with them, maybe they're unclear, they're afraid, and they're nervous about social media. And then let's say 90 days later, they are confident, they've got fire in their eyes, and they're hungry. And you can see it in a person's eyes. And it's the best feeling when you're like, yeah, let's go. Here's my plan for my album. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, damn, son. Didn't you used to be afraid? And they just, they're a whole new person after 90 days. And I love that. Absolutely. I really feed off of that. Yeah, same, man. The cool thing about being a a teacher, which at the end of the day, you and I are basically, we're, in a weird way, teachers. <laughs> mm, Our mm. job is like, you know, we're like music marketing person, whatever, but it's like, it's, it's a teaching game. And I think that's the most satisfying aspect of being, being a teacher, you know, whether it's courses or, or yeah. live one-on-ones or group coaching. Uh, anyways, man. I mean, this has been Thank awesome. you so much, man. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. Appreciate you inviting me, the trade we've done, the questions, the love, the friendship. I'm really appreciative of you, man. Thank yeah. you. Me too, man. Anything you want to plug before I stop the recording here? <laughs> um, just would love anyone who's down to connect with me at social media Ayaz across all platforms. And my website, if you want to reach out and have a conversation, is allabouthelping.co.uk. Cool. Um, yeah. Thank you, bro. As Once again. <laughs>